This is Cody Daigle-Oriens. So regular listeners to the podcast are familiar with the topic of polyamory. It's something that we've talked about in several episodes over the time that we've been a podcast, but we've only ever discussed it through a very specific lens, our gay male lens. So this week, we tackle polyamory again, this time with our special guest, Kira Hayes. She's queer, she's poly, and she'd offered us some wonderful insight into the challenges of navigating shifting identities and the challenges of navigating polyamory as a queer woman. So here's Kira Hayes on Bearded Fruit. My name is Kira Hayes. I'm currently living in Ohio, but I've kind of been a little bit all over the place for the past 10 years. Um, right now, I'm working on my graduate degree, um, getting my marriage um, and family therapy license in the state of Ohio, and my specialization is LGBT couples and families. And a lot of my focus is based around um, my personal life. So my personal and professional life blend together fairly fluidly. Um, because I identify as queer and polyamorous and kink friendly and I'm a mother and it just all kind of swarms together and that's the kind of um, kind of sex positive and all inclusive and educated therapy that I hope to provide specifically to the LGBT community um, when I'm finished with my degree plan. But um, yeah, so that kind of brings me to this whole topic of focus. It's kind of become my entire life um, over the past six years specifically. So yeah, that's me. Wonderful. Yeah, I know. And so on Bearded Fruit, we've had several occasions to talk about about the practice of polyamory. And we, mm-hmm. as a, a couple who, who practices poly, um, have mostly been able to speak about it from our own perspective. And what I was so excited about having you on the show uh, is to give us a, a, another side of the poly experience, uh, because I think the, mm-hmm. the gay male poly experience is, is very specific. And this is an opportunity to, to speak from from a female perspective about what that experience of poly is like in the world. Um, so how, how did you come to poly? So my story comes from a super heterosexual place, <laughs> um, so I, I, which is fine. Um, it kind of, it, it was the perfect path to lead me to where I'm at now. So I know that if it hadn't happened that way, goodness knows where I'd be. So um, I was married um, very young. Um, we were both 20 when we got married. Um, we both came from pretty strong religious backgrounds and there was just a lot of pressure for us to get married almost right away out of high school and stuff. So we stalled as long as we could and, and just kind of fell to the family pressures and got married and he was military. Um, so right away he was up and gone and I was on my own and he, he came home long enough to get pregnant twice and that was about it the rest of the time he was just always deployed and I I spent a lot of time just by myself and he was spending a lot of time by himself and 
if I'm honest, he more beat me to it because um, I, I was in a place where I was heavily considering having an affair because I was just alone and sad and had only ever had any experiences with this one person and I just didn't know about life and he just beat me to it, um, had an affair and came home, told me about it and we kind of got ourselves to this crossroads where we were either going to get a divorce or kind of drastically change the way we were doing our relationship because the monogamy just was not working. And mm -hmm. so I did some research online and um, it was easiest to find open relationships or swinging for married couples. But I came across polyamory and I felt like it fit our needs better than, I mean, what people would assume is an open relationship and what swinging is, which is more about sex. Um, and I was just like, I think this is what we would do best if we kind of implemented this into our relationship and he agreed and so we kind of started from this kind of dark place you know hitting hitting our our final straw of our relationship and um for us um and this was six years ago for us it really drastically um changed our relationship for the better mm -hmm. um but what it also did was kind of opened us up to experiencing relationships with other people and and doing so kind of relearned that we weren't very compatible with each other. Um, and so we kind of stayed in this domestic relationship with each other and had our needs met by other people and a whole lot of like trial and error as any first timer poly couples go through. Um, yes, indeed. And yeah, yeah. Um, and through that experience, um, I was able to kind of learn a little bit more about myself and my sexuality through, um, exploring and going to poly um, educational events and stuff and and at that time we were living in San Diego and San Diego's um, gay community and kink community and poly community are actually very intertwined and so I was spending a lot of time with people um, that were kind of part of all three of these communities um, and I through that exposure realized that I was kinky and poly and maybe interested in more than just men and so I kind of went through this super transitional period in my life where I was trying to figure out what I wanted and what made me happy and that became kind of a, a big part of my coming out process um, and so when I finally got the courage to not only come out to myself it took a year I came out to myself <laughs> and then it took me a whole year to get brave enough to be like okay everybody else in the world I'm gay and that that kind of was a tough time because I was at that time in a relationship with my husband obviously even though we weren't very active with each other and I also had a boyfriend and a girlfriend mm -hmm. and I realized through this experience with my girlfriend that just I was so gay and <laughs> um, so you know I, I kind of came out to all three of them together and it was this whole process and um and I ended the two relationships with the, with the men and which was my one of them was my husband so we filed for divorce and um but we ended on like really good terms like we just had already known that we weren't compatible and he was way happier with his girlfriend that he's still with now um and just kind of transitioned my whole life and moved away from him because I had been following him and his career around for the past 10 years so I was like oh, I'm gonna start doing stuff for me and um, that's what brought me here to Ohio and um, currently in a relationship with um, a woman uh, and she and I are primary partners 
And then she has a secondary girlfriend who has multiple partners. And I have a secondary who is actually a male-bodied, uh, well, a queer-identifying male-bodied person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of my current relationship, um, which is very polyamorous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what and I think is interesting, of... and, uh, I, and I wanted to double to back to a thing, uh, because I know it's a it's something that a conversation that we have a lot with with people um, making distinctions between you talked about going through the idea of looking at open relationships, but then settling on poly because it it suited you better. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to talk a little bit about the distinctions between the two, as I know that in in the the people that we encounter, there's a lot of confusion about what that difference is. And... Yeah, and I think it. I think that kind of changes um, regionally, actually, mm-hmm. because in San Diego, it seemed like the idea around open relationships was it kind of went hand in hand with swinging. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mostly heterosexual married couples who were opening their relationship to bringing in other sexual partners. Um, and I was like, oh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were obviously we were interested in in the idea of sleeping with other people, but we were like, it it feels like swinging. It feels like it makes it just about sex. And for us, we wanted to develop emotional connections and romantic relationships with other people in addition to Mm -hmm. having sexual connections with people. So for us and where we were and the way that open relationships were presented to us in our area, um, it just seemed, yeah, more heavily focused on sex. And that ha- that and has then, been our experience too. That people assume, yeah, that um, that th- the assumption is that poly predominantly means that we're just looking for additional sexual se- sexual partners together. Like that's sort mm-hmm. of like, oh, you guys don't play separately; you play together. So that means you're poly. No, not really. I actually want to like take you out for pizza and a beer, and <laughs> actually have a like. That's what I really want to do with you as well. Um, yeah, and for us, we have the way that we have sort of organized poly for us is that it means that we can develop any kind of connection with other people, uh, romantic mm-hmm. or sexual or a combination of the two. Um, right. And and those are those are, are acceptable connections and relationships to explore. I wonder if that's different though between the gay male community and the heterosexual or queer female community because um, I, I would say when we. Any any time that I've ever said, oh, I'm polyamorous, either when I was with my husband or with my girlfriend now, people right away mean, oh, so you just date whoever you want. Mm-hmm. But it was dating. Dating is like the the word that said, oh, you just date around. And it wasn't about sex. It, it was, oh, you, you guys are just looking to sleep with people. It was like, oh, you guys are dating around. Yeah, and with, with like literally no judgment on my part, the, the gay male experience does, I mean, it has always felt incredibly sex focused. Like that is a, mm-hmm. uh, sex becomes a, because it becomes the entry point to mm-hmm. connections with other people across the board. And, and they're, they're, that's always been the case in my experience, even when I wasn't practicing poly or even being in open relationships, that was, mm-hmm. it, it, it does feel like it's sex assumptive. Yeah. To a large degree. Well, I felt like that was kind of um, the main thing that I um, struggled with when I kind of transitioned from being in what I would consider a much safer in the sense that it's more normalized, um, Mm -hmm. a heterosexual relationship, to being, you know, an out queer woman in the poly 
community specifically because I feel like I went from a minority to a smaller minority to a smaller minority. <laughs> um, yes. And as I transitioned to these smaller groups, um, number one, I would say my, my biggest struggle is finding other partners um, that are also actually queer women because, ooh, it's, this is a hard one to talk about without sounding – so I'm just going to say – <laughs> to preface everything I'm going to say next, in my experience, this is what it feels like for me and my journey into being a queer polyamorous woman, is it, I get concerned when I meet another woman who says that she is also polyamorous, that in the background, after three or four dates, a boyfriend is going to emerge, <laughs> and she'll be like, surprise, I'm bisexual, you want to join me and my boyfriend? And I, that is like my main I would say, and, and this is something that was shared amongst the other women I was talking about who also identify as gay or queer and poly, is getting kind of sucked into this unicorn hunting ugh, experience, <laughs> you know, yes. um, because, because it, it, and it has actually happened to me where I've spent time trying to get to know a woman and she very conveniently doesn't mention that she's really seeing anybody else or will be like, Oh, I'm casually seeing a guy, but you know, I'm, I, don't worry. I'm not like trying to do anything. And, and then, you know, I get to know her and I'm interested in just her. And she's like, so we make this good connection and uh, we're wanting to take it a step further. But, um, and then it would be like, Oh, and one more thing my boyfriend has to be involved or I'm out. And I'm just like, oh, shit, like, not again. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, um, so that was brought in and other everybody at this Valentine's party last night where, you know, that I was talking to were agreeing like that that's kind of probably the main, I don't know, struggle, um, just kind of being seen or people assuming that I'm a bisexual woman and that I would also be interested in their male partner. So... Yeah, that that is certainly not something that we experience ever. Yeah, I mean, I we nor I, I. That's not true. There, there, there has been one heterosexual couple that I have been approached by, but for the most mm. part, there's. I think the assumption with, I feel like the assumption for for men who who, who identify as queer or gay, like oh, then they're gay. There's no. Like right. the, the idea that I might be bi was is not even part of the equation most of the time, and that comes as a surprise. Interesting um, that I would even be oh, it would, that that would even be possible, or that would even be an interest. Um, yeah, it's always the assumption: oh, a gay, you're you identify, you're married to a man. Well, then you're full gay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's it. Yeah. So I'm. I would love to to dig it a little bit deeper. It's interesting to me the the that moving from identity to identity and especially that intersection of being of identifying as queer and then also identifying as poly so sometimes i think people lump those two things together even though they're not necessarily always right. intersecting um how yeah. has that how what has that experience been like for you moving from identity to identity and finding the places where they intersect and where those things don't well, I think that I was really um, lucky to be in the environment that I was in San Diego during my whole coming out process because everything was so um, already kind of merged together. So like I was saying, the, the gay community, the kink community and the polyamorous community all had like intersecting 
um, events or meetings or discussions or use the same venues for things. And it was, and there was all, there was this one particular area of San Diego where we would all have our events because it was the gay area of -hmm. San Diego. And it just seemed like that was where everybody who wasn't heteronormative could go and kind of casually have these non-heteronormative meetings of any kind. Um, and even even our pride, um, the San Diego pride has a huge section that they ha- have kind of, blo- it's part of pride, but it's um, blocked in because you have to be 18 to go into it, but it's BDSM and kink and, and, and polyamory in this like section of pride. So it's always felt like you could kind of fluidly go between the different communities because everybody was so inclusive and so welcoming and so focused on educating. Um, and so, you know, I, I felt like during my whole process, I was kind of dipping my toe into the pool slowly. And I was, at first I was like, well, I'm I'm pretty sure we're polyamorous. So let's start there. And I'm a little bit interested in kink. So I identify as poly and kink curious, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm like tiptoeing around, um, you know, what is comfortable with for me and my journey and, and got a little more into it, a little more into it. And the more people I met and the more relationships and connections I made, the more I was able to kind of learn through my own journey, uh, who I was and what I was interested in. And because it was all readily available to me in that community, I felt like I, I had really easy access to, all right, well teach me about bisexuality because maybe I'm bisexual, bisexual, but I don't know. Do I even know what that means? And, there would be poly events that would educate you on what this sexuality is. And there would be um, gay uh, events at like the center in San Diego that would like teach you about sexualities and it was kind of open to whoever. And so I just felt like I was in the right place at the right time around the right people. And so it was very easy for me to kind of fluidly go between these communities and, and kind of pick and choose what events I want to go to and learn about, different things and I felt very welcome um through my journey I think it was more kind of struggling with myself and being like am I I don't know maybe I don't know (laughs) how would I know without any experience and and so that was more probably what you know took my time um but yeah I I just uh, in San Diego I, I feel like the identity queer um was kind of an all-encompassing sort of term. Um, even some of the uh, poly people would, would want to be, I guess, not want to be part of the LGBTQ um, community because they already felt like they were um, just anybody who was non-heteronormative, mm-hmm. um, but would say, oh, we identify as queer because we're not heteronormative because we're polyamorous. But it would be a heterosexual couple using the word queer. Yeah because they identified as poly. And so I, I feel like that the term was kind and nobody was like, oh, you can't use that term. Um, everybody was like, oh, I mean, you, it's your language. You can use it however you see fit, <laughs> which was fine. I mean, it, it was just, it was probably more laid back where I feel here in Ohio, where I am now. Um, I'm still using, I, I use the word, I, I say I am gay or I am queer because I don't feel like lesbian fits me. Mm-hmm. appropriately i and and that's just my own understanding of the word that feels very um just 
female-bodied people, that's it, nothing else for the rest of my life. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I just feel like that's a commitment to say I'm a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> so, I totally so, um, relate to that, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I don't know. Um, but bisexual doesn't feel right to me either. And But queer and gay just do. And I feel like because they're more of um, this umbrella-type term that I feel um, – I, I would rather be like, oh, I, I, I identify as queer. And then somebody would be like, well, what does that mean to you? And I'm like, thank you. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, a lot. So, it means a lot. <laughs> it means so many things. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that's how my identity. But the I would say the hardest transition was, and this is probably not a big surprise at all, but it was going from the privileges of being heterosexual to no privileges at all mm. <laughs> um, and being queer and 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 being with women because certainly that has drastically changed the way that I'm treated the way that people see me um the way that I different expectations of me like how I should be presenting um physically and acting and who I should be dating also um and so that that those kinds of changes were probably the, the roughest for me um, See, th that's a yeah. that's an interesting thing because it's a conversation that I have a lot uh, that Neil and I have a lot. We experience uh, we we interact with a lot of other uh, cis gay men, uh, particularly mm -hmm. white gay men, and there is really a. I feel like we're really super privileged in that regard. Almost we're almost like not disadvantaged and not marginalized anymore, just because of the like the the privileges of our of of our whiteness and our maleness uh, supersede mm -hmm. the the queer part of us in a huge way and so a lot of gay men a lot that i interact with really don't understand how identifying as gay is 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 also an experience of marginalization yeah and so i would like it would be i would love to hear so, like what would what was that experience like going from an identity of being perceived as heterosexual to then moving into queer and, and what, what gets lost in that translation? Um, I feel like for me, it, it was actually like the, the big things that I visually noticed were probably what other people would, would consider to be very small and insignificant things. Um, for example, and, and probably th this one comes to the forefront of my mind is I, I do have two young children. I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. Um, and they're very obviously mine because they look very much like me. So I don't think anybody ever um, assumes that they're not my children. But a privilege that I had before with my husband is that we would get very um, sweet compliments all the time. Like, oh, what a beautiful family. Or just people who would pass us and kind of just smile at my kids and smile at us and, you know, open doors for us. And a lot of just unspoken pleasantries. But things that I didn't notice before. And now I feel when I'm walking down the street with my girlfriend, people are looking perplexed and maybe not even intentionally so, but I'm, I, you know, no one's really smiling at me and, and the children and, and my partner, you know, anymore. It's, mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to figure us out. And my girlfriend is androgynous presenting. Um, but and and people might say um, or describe her as obviously gay, um, mm -hmm. where I am, a, I pass as heterosexual. I'm feminine presenting. Um, I'm a little bit alternative, if that's what you would call it, quote unquote. I have tattoos and a couple piercings, but I don't pass 
as gay. I'm using like quotation fingers as I right. say this, which you can't see, but um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't pass as gay. So um, even when I'm alone with my kids, I'll still get pleasant looks like, oh, the mom's out shopping with her kids. How sweet or whatever. Um, but when you add in my androgynous girlfriend, people just look at us like they're confused. And, mm. and I don't think they even realize that they're making kind of this confused or disgruntled face. Um, and, and we have had comments, um, you know, which is another privilege that I, I had when I was in a heterosexual relationship is nobody ever said anything and, and inappropriate to us ever. Like, ew, don't hold hands or gross, you know, if we kissed in public or anything like that. Um, or, you know, the other um, privilege that I had being in a heterosexual relationship is I never got sexually um, harassed, like verbally harassed on the street whenever I was with my husband. By myself, sure. But with my husband, there was this level of respect for my husband, to be clear, mm-hmm. um, to not say something to me like, hey, baby, or whatever, as I'm passing. With my girlfriend, even if we're holding hands and we're clearly together walking down the street, people will still verbally harass me. Um, and I think it's a level, it's a different level of disrespect um, that it just, that, that was a privilege that I had in a heterosexual relationship and something that I don't have now. And this is like, a, you know, it's not happening every single day, all the time, like constant harassing of us at all for, for being gay, but it's something that, because I never had experienced this before in my heterosexual relationship, it's something that's very obvious to me, even if it's a small thing, like somebody kind of looking at us confused or staring at us because they're just trying to figure out either her gender or whether mm-hmm. we're gal pals or actually in a relationship. <laughs> um, and like, Ooh, whose kids are those? And I wonder who gave birth to them. And, and, you know, you can tell people are thinking and they're just curious. Maybe I don't, I don't know. I don't, frankly care why they're staring at us but it's just something that i i'm very much noticing now and never noticed before well yeah. but, but if you're if you're for heterosexual couples that you really don't have that kind of scrutiny you don't experience that kind of scrutiny like i, I right. it's always in we experience something something similar um i am a, a, a good bit older than neil is so mm-hmm. there's often confusion about how we are connected to each other because he also kind of i mean we're kind of boyfriend twins husband twins <laughs> so they can't quite figure out if we're are we are we friends? Are we are we brothers? Am I his dad? Which I get sometimes, <laughs> and that that's all very confusing. And particularly if we then express physical affection for each other in public, mm-hmm. then that's just like mind explodes. And nobody knows <laughs> yeah. what's happening. Um, and it's it, and I agree. It's not it 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 doesn't ruin my day, but it's a it's a kind of scrutiny that other people don't get. That is is a minor inconvenience. And you know, yeah. why are you spending that time trying to figure us out? What? Why do you need yeah. to do that? When yeah. You're not trying to do that for other people. Why do you have to spend that those extra seconds with a puzzled look on your face trying to figure out how we how we know each other? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. yeah. Actually, another pretty interesting thing that we have dealt with um, is, uh, and it's again, it's something that like is so simple, but before I would never notice this when I was out with my husband, um, but just going to dinner, like who gets the check? It was always my husband. And in a way I was, I, I now as a, as a very woke female, um, <laughs> feminist, um, 
I, you know, to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, why couldn't I have, you know, paid? Why was the bill never put between us? It was always handed almost directly to my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just something I never really thought about. And now with my girlfriend, um, sometimes they, they actually kind of wait, waiters will struggle. They are not exactly sure like who to hand the bill to, or if they should put it in the middle. Um, and they kind of tend more often than, than not to, to hand the, the bill to my androgynous presenting girlfriend, because I guess she looks the most like <laughs> a man. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but Oh, or they'll like set it in the middle. So and... deep. <laughs> yeah, like they're you can tell they're thinking about it, or or like trying not to make it awkward, but it's totally awkward. Or they'll assume that the check is split always. Oh, you ladies gonna split the check mm-hmm. for your like ladies lunch out? You know, and we're like, <laughs> no, we're we're together. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. So it's just like little things like that, um, and sometimes little condescending statements like being called. Hey ladies, are you guys having a nice lunch? And we're just like, I don't know. I don't know. It, I guess just sometimes you can, you, it just kind of gives you those tingly feelings where you're like, nope, pretty sure that was condescending this time. Right. Like, there's a difference between somebody saying, I don't know, even something as simple as, hey ladies, um, in a way that is, you, it doesn't make you uncomfortable, and in a way that you're like, no, I'm pretty uncomfortable. So it's just it's little stuff, little stuff like that. Yeah. Now, did you experience those sort of like addressing the the idea of like uh, of misogyny? Did mm-hmm. when you were navigating polyamory in a heterosexual context and and through those communities, does that difference of of sort of that that added layer of misogyny? Did you feel it in there, or or was the poly community less prone to it? Um, I feel like um, when we were exploring polyamory as a heterosexual couple, that we were a lot more easily accepted. But, and I don't think that I had an awareness, it was very normalized to be treated um, kind of secondary to my husband in a general sense of all things. Um, And I just, I thought that was just very normal. Um, But looking back on it now, I can tell it was very like patriarchal. Everything was. so when we would go to poly events and meet other heterosexual couples, the men would kind of um, initiate potential dating amongst themselves. So, you know, we would meet up with another couple just for lunch or whatever. And, and it, any conversation about like deciding whether the four of us were going to interact sexually or not would almost always be kind of qu- quietly discussed amongst the two male people and and then we would join the the two females would join in at the end after like it was pretty well decided like yes this is going to happen and so how nice of them <laughs> no i know but i was like well this is just the way that it is and yeah. I was, in, a, in a way it was comforting because i do have this just kind of general fear as a female that i'm almost and, and granted it is irrational to some degree but i just kind of carry this fear that i'm all, i'm going to get taken advantage of in one way or another mm-hmm. and so there is a comfort um in having a male bodied person around even just to go to something as simple as getting my oil changed i'm like why well, don't am i going to get treated a particular way because i'm i'm a here and i'm coming to do this thing as a single female or will i get a better deal if i bring my male friend with me mm-hmm. and i almost can unfortunately guarantee that I'll get a better deal if I bring a male friend. Wow. And so there was a comfort, you know, navigating the polyamorous community as a heterosexual couple with my 
male husband with me because I was like, well, I know I won't get myself into any uncomfortable situations where I might feel like I have to do something I don't want to do because my husband's here. And so I think people will treat us respectfully and kind of navigating polyamory as a single female, you know, was different. I was worried that people wanted me as a unicorn and that that was kind of it. Um, And in a way, my concerns were unfortunately supported more often than not. Um, Just getting approached um, way more aggressively by single males. um, Just like, hey, do you want to hook up or, or, you know, do you want to join me in my girlfriend or you could just fuck me whatever like whatever you want to do but it was more aggressive when I was kind of going to things as a single female than when when I was with my husband so I guess that would be pretty the pretty major difference um but I mean I don't feel like that has changed um kind of navigating it as a queer woman it's just it's the same sort of assumption that I will be their unicorn Yes, I was about to ask. I was wondering. I was wondering, moving into into a queer female community, do, does do some of do those things just disappear? Is it a much more welcoming space, or do you run into? I guess you run into you run into an entirely new set of an entirely new set um, of issues and challenges. Yeah, I mean, I would say that I'm actually because it's a smaller, again, the minority group. It keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. So being um, a gay female polyamorous person, my I feel like my um, pool of potential partners is much smaller now. Um, and that was actually another thing that kept coming up when I was asking um, other uh, gay females what their experience was in poly is finding people, finding women who are open to being polyamorous, first of all, and um, and being able to just connect uh, with any woman who isn't monogamous. It's just a much smaller community. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the ideas around why that is, is this kind of assumption that women in general are more um, emotionally invested in relationships. And so it's not it's kind of the opposite spectrum of like maybe where you're at and your experiences, it's way less about sex for the most part. Generally speaking amongst women, it seems to be way less focused on sex or casual encounters of any kind. It's very focused on, I'm I'm looking for a life partner. I'm looking for somebody to move in and get a U-Haul and get some cats and like watch Mm -hmm. Netflix and go to bed at 6 p.m. Like let's throw all the stereotypes out there. But I mean, that actually sounds great, but (laughs) I mean, that sounds fantastic. That sounds like my normal Tuesday. um... Right. That like sounds fantastic. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it was still this like, oh, good luck finding um, a a gay woman who is going to be willing to be non-monogamous basically. And um, based on my experience, obviously I have a girlfriend who has a girlfriend who has many girlfriends. Um, It's not impossible, but is the pool much smaller? Yeah. Is it more likely that I'll find, you know, make a connection with somebody who's maybe monogamous? Yeah. And, and that has to be kind of one of the, luckily we use OkCupid and now you can kind of put on there exactly what you're looking for and they Mm -hmm. let you choose non-monogamy and so i'm swiping through the same 20 girls but (laughs) (laughs) at least i know like who in my area i could you know have a conversation with and um 
just kind of make connections the the easy way, like the cheating way, but whatever. Um, it's just a smaller pool of people. It's harder to, I would say, for me, much harder than when I was in a heterosexual right. relationship. That's for sure. Now, do but, you but, find... Yeah. Do you find that um, one thing that we experience is a, a considerable amount of, of judgment from other gay or queer identified men who are monogamous or or strive for monogamy, uh, which I always think is kind of crazy because, like, dude, we're in the same gay boat. Like, yeah, <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, do, mm -hmm. do, do you, does that do you find that happening in your interactions with queer women? Do do women who want monogamy um, like discriminate or or like create judgment or create like like outcastness for you? Um, yeah, I yeah, I actually would would say it 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 is a lot kind of. Um, I've I've had several experiences where just talking to people and just when I kind of explain that I'm polyamorous, the number one response I get and this is from almost everybody, but I would say more often than not from women is like, how could you do that? How could you share with somebody else? Or, um, or like, oh, I could never, I'm way too jealous and possessive. I could never be polyamorous. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, and they're like, how do you do that? Or don't you love your person? Like how, mm -hmm. if you loved your person and they were enough for you, you wouldn't be polyamorous. That that's usually, and, and those are huge assumptions. And, and I, I kind of, part of me gets a little bit defensive right away because I'm like, Oh, you're so wrong. That's not how it is for me at all. But, right. but then I'm like, they, they literally don't know. Like this is my opportunity to kind of say, well, let me explain that to you. And, and this is my experience and it's not for everybody. And I would never force anybody to be in a relationship with me <laughs> who believes in monogamy. I would be, I would just kind of outright be like, it's not going to work, but let's be friends. Um, mm -hmm. Which, which is fine. But yeah, I think that, more often than not that that's something that I kind of come across with is, Oh, I could never be poly because I don't share or um, I have to be enough for my person. Um, and that's kind of it. So yeah, we, something that we encounter a lot is, that is when we tell people that we're poly, people will say, um, we'll assume that we're not having sex anymore. That the only oh. reason we would be looking for someone else is because we no longer have sex, which is not true, and <laughs> um, right or 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 that we are somehow not fulfilled by each other. That the only reason that we could be wanting to do this is so that we could, you know, like have some need met. That uh, like, yeah. we're, like we're sad in our current relationship, and um, <laughs> or the, or we're greedy. We get greedy yeah. a lot. Like, well, you're so, oh my yeah. God, don't you, you have yours. Why would you take one of mine? Which, yeah, really, that, Interesting. don't assume that they would have been yours in the first place. And I, I feel like somebody who's, <laughs> somebody who's interested in dating someone who is poly, they know what they're getting into. So they're looking for something specific. Maybe monogamy isn't really for them in the first place. So it right. wouldn't have been in your pool. Uh, but yeah, we, we encounter the same sort of assumptions. Do you not love your person? Are you guys not in yeah. love anymore? Uh but the the biggest assumption is that we are no longer having sex, which, huh, not quite. Yeah, no, I would probably say the biggest assumption is that, um, yeah, that that we're greedy. Yeah, that you oh, your one person isn't good enough for you. Like, okay, like, well, no, one one person is good. What is good enough, first of all? But yeah, I I get all my needs met with my primary partner. Like I. 
and and I I like clarify that right away. I'm like, you're not taking anything away from my relationship with my primary partner, but you're also not adding anything either. What we have is existing independently of whatever I seek outside of that relationship. You know what I mean? Like it, I mean, you understand because you're, you're part of this community, but that I feel is like the hardest thing when I'm explaining this to people for them to understand. They're like, no, you have to share You have to split your love. You can't love her the same amount and love somebody else. And I'm like, it doesn't get split in half. It multiplies. Exactly. And my favorite analogy to use is, um, pets or children because i'll say okay so a mom has a fir- her first child okay and a second child is coming along and when it's born she has to turn to the first one and be like well <laughs> first child i now love you half the amount because there's a second <laughs> child and <laughs> so you shit's gonna change around here mister like no what happens is your love expands your your ability to love expands your patience expands your tenderness expands your experience expands that's that's been my entire journey is just i am so blown away every time i make another connection with somebody by just how much i learn about myself and how much i have to offer relationships and how much i can gain from these relationships um and the only thing that i don't have limited amounts of is time on slots on my google calendar but that's like literally (laughs) the only and so we kind of laugh about that in in the community it just you know everything of ours multiplies and just keeps continuing to grow and grow except for our space on google calendar so that's the only thing that kind of is just time management (laughs) but other than time that, and, and, this, yeah. and, the, and I feel like the time spent communicating all the challenge, all like to communicate oh. and navigate everything. Because yeah. like I always, I always say all the time, like the thing that we do the most, really as a poly couple, oh. is talk about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's really yeah. what we're doing the most of. Don't be like it's not like super sexy time, one hundred percent. Yeah, most of the time it's conversation. So, yeah, yep. So for for someone who is maybe who through listening to this conversation or has been thinking about poly as a way to kind of like wrap up our, our conversation, what advice would you give someone who's interested in, in exploring or wa- are walking into this world and taking their first steps? How would you suggest they go about doing that? Well, I feel like um, what I wish I had known in my very early stages was just how much education is out there and available. Um, because I felt very alone in my journey of learning about what this was. And, um, and when I discovered that there are communities of people who get together and have coffee and talk about this or have, you know, educational presentations or, um, socials or, or something based around educating each other and connecting and sharing their story, um, that helped me so much just knowing that I could go, even if I wasn't sure because I wasn't in the beginning, if this was right for me, I felt very welcome to go and learn um, from other people's experiences and just kind of pick and choose the, the different things that I feel like worked for me mm-hmm. um, and kind of ke- keeping my that in mind too. Like, okay, yeah, sure, this couple does it this way or this triad does it this way, but that wouldn't work for me and that's okay. And just kind of taking it really slow, being open to education, being open to advice and being open to drastically changing what you think you want and what actually works for you. Right. Um, 
and kind of let understanding when you're making when usually start one of the first thing that's kind of this commonality that I've noticed is that people kind of establish a bunch of what I call fear rules. Um, and some of the, the most generic ones are things like um, no having sex in our marital bed, or um, you can only date somebody of the opposite gender than me, um, or, you know, just, just kind of rules that you're like trying to still control, right. have as much control as possible because of, of fear. A fear that it's not going to work, a fear that's going to blow up in your face, a fear that you're going to hate it. Um, and all those fears, while valid, kind of get in the way from genuinely experiencing polyamory. So my advice would be, yeah, willingness to educate, willingness to like slowly trip through your trial and error, error phase and just having patience and doing what feels comfortable and not doing what doesn't and taking your time. And it's okay if at the end you're like, yeah, Polly is totally not for me. I'm going to go back to being monogamous. <laughs> like, cool. Like, at least you learned that about yourself, you know, and you were open to thinking outside of this heteronormative idea of what relationships should quote unquote be. You've been listening to Bearded Fruit, politics and culture through an intersectional queer lens. Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode, head over to our website, beardedfruit.com, to get more info about this week's show and to check out some of our other web features, like our weekly Ask a Dad advice column or our Fruit Stands section, which gives you ways to bring the Bearded Fruit conversation into your community. You can also connect with us on Facebook at Bearded Fruit and on Twitter at Bearded Fruit Pod. And if you have some feedback on this week's episode or questions to ask us or just want to share an idea for an upcoming episode, give us a call at 860-785-0633. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or find us on SoundCloud. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>